0: Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth podcast. The pleased to meet you. Hope you guess my name. Edition as I chat with Bengals newcomer Thaddeus Moss, the former LSU tight end who has been reunited with his college quarterback Joe Burrow. And speaking of Joey B, he was the big story on Tuesday when the Bengals held their first OTA practice, as number nine was not only in attendance, but took part in most of the drills, exactly six months and three days after suffering his knee injury. I'll discuss that and much more with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, who will also answer the Ask Lap questions you submitted via Twitter. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer, refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered Write to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since the kindness of my boss, Mike Brown. Last week on this podcast, Mike joined me to share stories about the team's Ring of Honor candidates. If you haven't listened yet, you should, because nobody knows more about Bengals legends than he does. As you may know, Mike does not do a lot of interviews, but he's always been very gracious to me, and he agreed to meet me in his office last week. Because of the pandemic, it's the first time I've had a face-to-face conversation with him in more than a year. So we sat down at the conference table in his office and recorded an interview that lasted nearly an hour, as Mike shared memories and anecdotes about his legendary father, Paul, and the 18 former players under consideration for the initial Ring of Honor class. It was great stuff. And I was probably in his office for an hour and a half as we chatted about the team and a wide variety of topics. When we finished, he walked with me to the door, and as I was exiting his office, I dropped my digital recorder. And Mike joked, I hope you didn't just destroy the interview. I assured him he had nothing to worry about. I've dropped that recorder dozens of times, and it's indestructible. But even if I somehow broke the recorder, the interview was saved on a removable memory card. I was 100% confident that everything was fine. So, I got home, loaded the memory card into my laptop, hit play, and got... nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zip. An NFL owner, who happens to be my boss, had given me an hour of his valuable time to do a relatively rare interview... And I had managed to destroy the recording. So now what do I do? The segment was fantastic, and I knew Bengals fans would really love Mike's stories. But could I really ask him to do it again? I was mortified. But after several minutes of panic and self-loathing, I elected to make the phone call of shame, making it abundantly clear that if Mike did not want to redo the interview, I would certainly understand. To his credit, he was completely understanding. He may have been cursing me under his breath, but he invited me to come back to his office the next day, where he kindly spent another hour sharing stories about the greatest players in franchise history. Just to be safe, I used two recording devices. The end result was a great podcast, and I hope that gives you an added sense of just how good a person Mike Brown truly is. Now, let's get to Thaddeus Moss. After starting his college career at NC State, Thaddeus switched to LSU where he had to sit out a year as a transfer. The following year he had a broken left foot and missed that season as well. He finally got on the field with the Tigers in 2019 and was a key weapon for Joe Burrow on LSU's national championship team, finishing with 47 catches for 570 yards and four touchdowns. But following the season, Doctors found a broken bone in his right foot during a routine medical exam at the NFL scouting combine. As a result, he wasn't drafted. Thaddeus eventually signed with the Washington football team, but spent his rookie year on the injured list. When Washington let him go in April, the Bengals pounced and claimed Moss off waivers. I spoke to him this week. Thaddeus, what was your reaction to being acquired by the Bengals and being reunited with your college quarterback, Joe Burrow?
1: Man, it just felt good. Uh, it just felt good. You know, Cincinnati is somewhere where I wanted to be coming out of the draft originally. Um, you know, and it just feels good to be somewhere where I'm wanted. Uh, you know, and be around some, some be around some familiar faces.
0: Describe your connection with Joe because I've read that you worked with him quite a bit when you were coming back from your foot injury back at LSU.
1: Yeah, um, well, I mean, me and Joe both have a work. You know, a really high work ethic, so. Uh, I pretty much told him, whenever, whenever it is that you're throwing, I don't care if it's you know just whenever it is that you're throwing, to hit me up. So me and him, you know, we're we're working together pretty much every single weekend. Um, and I told him the same. Which I told him the same thing when it comes to film as well. Anytime you're watching film, let me know. I'm trying to be with you, you know, through everything, get that relationship down and uh, get that chemistry down.
0: Sounds like you feel like you two guys are very like minded.
1: I would like to think so. Um, You know, me and Joe are good friends uh, off the football field as well. Um, But I I like to think that we are like-minded, and that's that's, that's probably why we're such good friends.
0: We are chatting with Bengals tight end Thaddeus Moss. People are joking that the Cincinnati Bengals are becoming the Bayou Bengals with this LSU connection uh, between you and Joe and, and two members of the rookie class, Jamar Chase and Tyler Shelvin. That's four guys from the 2019 national championship team. What do you think of having this quartet of LSU Tigers on the Bengals now?
1: I think you can't go wrong getting as many LSU players as you can on your football team. Um, you know, so so hopefully in this next draft, we, in this upcoming draft next year, we grab some more LSU, uh, some more LSU players. But no, it definitely feels good. Like I said, to be around some familiar faces. Um, you know, I know everybody's work ethic. Um, you know, and everybody going into this thing. So it's definitely going to be some good outcomes, uh, you know, with, with us being together.
0: The last time we saw you in action, you caught a pair of touchdown passes in the national championship win over Clemson. And you set the LSU record for receptions by a tight end that season. What stands out to you about that great 2019 season? <sighs>
1: I mean, I don't, it it all, still looking back on it, it all really, it feels like a dream from the first game all the way to the championship game, but probably what stands out to me is just the relationship with the players and just how close, just how close we were as a football team. Um, You know, like we were just really close with each other on the field, off the field, you know, we all still stay in contact, Uh, but probably just how, just probably just how close of the football team it was and, you know, we were just rolling that year.
0: You had an excellent year catching the ball, but it sounds like you also blocked extremely well. Can you talk about that side of uh, your skill set as a tight end?
1: Yes, well, I like to be well-rounded. When I first got to LSU, um, the word about me was that all I wanted to do was run routes and I didn't want to block. So, um, you know, I I like to think of myself as a well-rounded tight end. Um, you know, I can do do whatever it is that you need me to do. If it's plays in a passing game, if it's blocking in the run game or blocking in the pass game, you know, I'm, um, I like to think that I can do it all, which is what I think a tight end should be able to do. A tight end should be able to do everything that it is the coach asks of them to do. Um, and that's how that's how I like to look at myself.
0: We're chatting with Thaddeus Moss. Your rookie year last year was impacted by injury. What happened and how are you doing now?
1: I had the surgery coming off of uh coming out of the combine. You know, I had a I had another had a fracture in my foot, uh you know, I didn't know about that I had played with, you know, the whole season, the whole championship season that I didn't know about. So, um, you know, I had to get that fixed. And um just with with COVID and everything, the world getting shut down, I wasn't able to fully rehab it how I needed to with everything getting shut down and um you know, so I was put on IR all year. Uh, You know, I wasn't able to really, I couldn't even get a few, I didn't even get some practices in. So, uh, but how I'm feeling now, I feel great, man. This is the best I've felt since before any of the injuries. Uh, You know, I put a lot of work in to get back to this, get back to this point, Um, you know, and I feel good about myself and where I'm at right now with my body. And I'm really looking forward, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to what the future holds in Cincinnati for me.
0: Foot injuries are obviously a serious thing. And I know you had surgery a couple of times at LSU might last year have been a blessing in disguise, just giving it a year to rest and recover?
1: I mean, it can be looked at it like that. Yeah, I definitely took the, the year was definitely helpful and I was able to take a step back and look at my body, listen to my body and work on it. Um, you know, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to look, I don't, I don't like looking at that as a blessing in disguise because nothing about it was a blessing. Yeah. Um, but, um, no, nah, i like to say I definitely took advantage of last year and, like I said, I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to this year, and you know, taking it day by day.
0: The Bengals have a young tight end room, with the exception of a seven-year vet C.J. Uzama. How much contact have you had with your fellow tight ends?
1: I've had a. i have had I mean, I would not say a lot of a lot of contact, but I've, I've I've talked to almost everybody. I've talked to, I've talked to them a good bit. Um, yeah, I mean, I've talked to them a good bit. It's a good. It's a good group of. It's a good uh, good tight end room. Good group of guys. Uh, you know, with James Casey being a position coach, great guy. Um, you know, they're all just good guys in the tight end room. Really helpful, um, you know, really just down-to-earth guys. And uh, it's going to be a fun year working with them, with, with those guys.
0: James Casey is an interesting guy, former professional baseball player, former NFL football player, and a young guy. He almost looks like he could still play. Are you looking forward to learning from him?
1: I am looking forward to him. Uh, coming out of the Combine originally, um, I thought me and me and Coach Casey had a really good relationship just from the conversations that we've had. Um, but nah, definitely, I'm looking forward to to working with him and learning from him, and you know, just getting in there day in and day out with him, and you know, hearing what he has to say and applying it, you know, because he's he's been there and done it himself. And also, it's, it's it's fresh, you know. He was just he was just playing not too long ago, so he definitely has some experiences that I want that I'm looking forward to pulling from.
0: Thaddeus, I don't even know if you're aware of this, but the Bengals have had a lot of great players in recent years who went undrafted. Vontez Burfecht, Alex Erickson, Vinny Ray, just to name a few. I know those guys played with a chip on their shoulder as a result. Do you have the same chip?
1: Absolutely. I I I already have a chip on my shoulder. I've already had a chip on my shoulder my whole life from my last name. And, you know, being undrafted was definitely, I felt like it was disrespect and a slap in the face. Um, so definitely playing with a chip on my shoulder. That's just, this is a bigger chip on my shoulder, you know, to prove everybody wrong and prove myself right. And, um, you know, definitely, definitely a chip on my shoulder. I'm just looking forward to getting out there and playing ball, man.
0: You mentioned your last name. Your dad, Randy, is one of the greatest wide receivers in NFL history. You helped unveil his bust when he went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2018. How has that impacted your football life?
1: It, it's brought more attention. You know, it's brought more attention to me. Um, some, Most of it's been unwanted because I could care less about the attention, man. I just want to play football. Um, so definitely it's brought more attention and more eyes on me. Um, yeah, it's had its perks, but it definitely had its downs and its negatives. Um, but just having him in my corner, you know, being able to rely on him, hearing what he has to say about everything because he's been through so much, has definitely been been helpful
0: couple more questions for Bengals tight end, Thaddeus Moss. You played your freshman year of high school in Northern Kentucky at Boone County. How long did you live in the Cincinnati area? And does it make it a little bit easier to join the Cincinnati franchise having spent some time around here?
1: Yes. Um, I think I lived here about six years in uh, Northern Kentucky. Um, You know, it definitely does make it a little bit easier on top of coming coming into a football team where I have some familiar faces, but to an area that I know pretty well, you know, and I still have some family out here. So just being out here in a familiar place with some familiar faces definitely makes the transition a whole lot easier.
0: Did you follow the Bengals at all or attend any games during that six-year period?
1: Um, I mean, I followed the Bengals. I wouldn't say I was a Bengals fan, Um, but I think I came to... I think I came to two football games, um, and I know one of them was when my when the Patriots played the Bengals, but I think I came to two football games um, and followed them a little bit. I followed them a good bit, actually,
0: I'd say. All right, last thing. I see you've been assigned or, or chosen the number 81. That was the number your dad wore with the Patriots when he set the NFL record for touchdown catches in a season. Did you choose it, or was it just handed to you?
1: Well, it was handed to me, and I mean, that was a number that I wore in college. You know, that's my number. I wouldn't really say I picked it based off of my father and what he's done wearing that number. Uh, you know, I just thought 81 looked good on me, and that's that's what I'm rocking with. But I was handed handed it to me, you know, from the team, and I'm, mean, you know, I was I was pretty I was pretty happy to get that number. You know, considering it's my college number as well.
0: Well, the team obviously saw a lot of footage of you excelling in that number at LSU, and I know the Bengals are delighted to have you on the roster. Welcome to Cincinnati, and I really appreciate your time. Thanks.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate it.
0: The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Over the past month or so, the players from 21 NFL teams have released statements saying they intend to skip voluntary spring practices, better known as OTAs, or Organized Team Activities. The Players Union actively encouraged its members not to attend, citing the reduction of injuries after everything was done virtually in the off-season last year. But when the Bengals held their first OTA practice on Tuesday, attendance was perfect. Players Association rep, Jesse Bates, reached out to the other influential veterans on the club, and they came to the conclusion that after winning just four games last year, the players need to take advantage of every opportunity to get better. It certainly speaks to the character of the players in the Bengals' locker room. Dave Lapham and I attended Tuesday's practice and shared some observations when it was finished. Lapp, the big story on the first day of OTAs was obviously Joe Burrow. Not only was he out there, but he was very active at practice. He wasn't running and wasn't rolling out from left to right, but he was throwing and taking part
2: in, in virtually every drill. Yeah, he was, and uh, he said after practice he feels like he's 85%. It looked, it looked even maybe even better than that. I didn't notice any uh, hitch steps, any fall steps. I didn't notice anything you know different in his footwork or his mechanics. Um, I thought he, I thought he did really well. And you know, when you think about it, it's like all right, well, which one would be the better knee for a quarterback—the left knee or the right knee? The right knee would be, you know, that's where you're you're planting and, and then pushing off so is that the tougher to come back from or is it the left knee where you're following through and you're you know you're torquing and contorting a little bit there I think they're it's like six and one half dozen another there so I think the fact that he is where he is is, is pretty impressive if it was the arm you would definitely want it <laughs> to be the left
0: <laughs> no doubt it was interesting hearing from head coach Zach Taylor after the first OTA practice talk about how cautious they are being with Joe <laughs> at practice to the point that When they were doing passing plays, they didn't even have Joe Mixon line up in the backfield by him just in case they accidentally collided or there was a fumbled snap that led to a collision. They want to make
2: sure that Joe Burrow is standing alone back there at all times. Absolutely. Uh, Caution is is everything. And he is going to be uh, operating from the empty backfield look. I mean, if there's a back or receiver uh, initially lined up there, they're going to motion out of there and give him all the real estate that, uh, that they can. Uh, and you, yeah, you would hate to see like him trip on a ball, step on a ball, step on a guy's foot. Um, you know, if there's in live action, a, a lineman gets bull rushed back to the quarterback, you know, a defensive lineman, a bull rush to an offensive lineman that led to the initial injury and threw his body in and his body into Joe Burrow's knee. So at practice, even if there's a bull rush and the quarterback, as he's making his uh, stride step, steps on one of those players' foot, and, you know, now all of a sudden you have a, a different and uneven landing spot for the quarterback's foot, and that can obviously affect the knee. So I think they're going to be extremely careful with him all through training camp. It's going to be interesting, Dan, to see if he does take snaps. He, he verbalized that he'd like to potentially take some preseason snaps, and I can understand that, you know, knock off the dust and rust and cobwebs, but you weigh that against the things we're talking about. I'm not sure. I mean, Mike Brown and the, the organization and the coaching staff, they're going to have some long talks about that, I'm sure. The goal all along is to be ready for week one against the Minnesota
0: Vikings, and even though Joe raised the possibility of maybe getting in a few snaps in the preseason, as you just mentioned, I can't see it. I just don't buy the notion that Mike Brown and Zach Taylor are going to say, yeah, go ahead, take three series.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think that it will make it all the more difficult for Joe in the opener against Mike Zimmer, one of the more, you know, <laughs> accomplished defensive coordinators in the National Football League now the head coach of Minnesota Vikings but his thumbprint and all four fingerprints are all over that defense so he's going to make uh, life as tough as he possibly can for not only Joe Burrow but the offensive line from a recognition standpoint Joe from a recognition standpoint try to cause some confusion get some free runners and things of that nature so uh, guys are going to have to really be on their game mentally and physically against a a guy like Mike Zimmer who will be game planning and scheming against them.
0: So if you were a starting lineman right now and Joe Burrow was your quarterback, how excited would you have been today to see him out there after what took place in the 10th game last year?
2: Yeah, I I definitely would have been juiced up. You know, there's no question about it. And, uh, you know, the guy that I think probably felt the best about it is Michael Jordan because he's the one that obviously got taken advantage of physically on that play. And it looks like he really made a, a concerted effort to drop some tonnage in the offseason. I mean, he, he's in much better shape. He's a different-looking body out there. So I think he realizes that he's in a fight for his life, you know, for, for not only a starting spot but a roster spot. And I think he's, uh, you know, showing some signs right away that I understand where I am, I understand what I have to do, and, and I think early indications are maybe that he's, uh, you know, he's, he's making some changes so... I think all of that's good. And I, if, I, if I'm an offensive lineman and having Joe Burrow in the huddle, like Zach said, you know, Riley Reef and some of these guys have never heard, you know, Joe, Buttle, Joe Burrow communicate in the huddle. So uh, all of that, I think, uh, is a factor. And, and, Dan, it's like, you know, you can zoom all you want until you're right next to a guy, look a guy in the eye, shake his hand. You know, you don't know exactly what you have for a teammate, you know. And I, I think all of that, all those intangibles are hugely significant for Joe Burrow to want to be – as a part of as much of it as he possibly can, I think speaks volumes that we already knew about Joe Burrow. I mean, he's the real deal. He understands uh, who he is, how important he is. He has tremendous people skills. Uh, He's a special dude. They don't update weights on the roster and OTAs, and
0: they're not always all that accurate anyway. But I'd be interested to know how Michael Jordan compares to a year ago. He looked 15 pounds lighter to me.
2: I agree, 15, maybe 20, somewhere in there. It uh, wouldn't surprise me whatsoever, and uh, and I think on a day like today, where it was you know the heat index was up there a little bit, I, I think he, he was bouncing around the field pretty well. You know, I noticed uh, he, he had a lot of energy, had a lot of pep in his step, and uh, so I think he's again trying to turn the page and and uh, open up a new chapter in his career.
0: And talking about teammates being excited about Burrow being out there practicing, I thought it was amusing to hear from Jesse Bates that he was excited just to see Joe Burrow high-stepping when they first go out. Something that simple meant something to his teammates.
2: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And and uh, and I noticed the same thing, you know, when you're doing the little uh, skip-hop steps, you know, that they do mm-hmm. just in, in some of the drills. He, he went through everything. He, he didn't take himself out of any of the movement things and um, – you know, calisthenics, all of it, and it's all—it's all meaningful. So, I think uh, the fact that he participated in every single aspect of it was significant. The thing I did notice, Dan, though, uh, the Bengals had great attendance. Obviously, 100% attendance at this, and not other teams in the league can make that claim. But I do think that that there's been an agreement that it's going to be very, very minimal. They didn't even run any offense against defense. And I remember every OTA, the very first workout of OTAs. At the end, team drill was run, and they ran offense against defense, and they ran plays. They didn't. So I, I think I think they're they're scaling everything back. Okay, if you show up to minicamp, make sure you don't do anything, or do less of where injuries might occur. If you're in team 11-on-11 and and you're playing bump and run, you have hands on people and people get tangled up in a pile, if you run an inside run play, even though it's not full contact, there's a lot of feet and a lot of bodies around each other and guys can get caught in compromising positions and bend the wrong way with an ankle or a knee or whatever. So I I think that there's been some sort of an unwritten agreement as such that, okay, if you go through OTAs, you're going to maybe at the very end, the last week of OTAs, you might be able to run some team but it sounds like they're not going to run any team drills all this week and maybe into next week. Well, I think that's by design. I don't think that's an accident.
0: Well, let's talk about attendance because that was the other big story on day one. We've seen players from other teams say that they plan to skip the OTAs, and I'm trying to picture what this practice looked like in other cities. Were they doing it with 20 guys out there, 25 guys out there instead of nearly
2: 100? Yeah, I mean, you look at it, If, if you've only if you only had seven draft picks – if if you didn't sign uh, you know fifteen free agents at different positions, you couldn't run team drill anyway. So yeah, I mean it, it, it's interesting. And I think another place that might have looked like uh, the rookie mini camp that we watched mm-hmm. last week, and that, that's probably about it. Uh, you know the rookie's going to show up. The rookies are like, uh, no, don't don't expect me not to. I, I can't honor your your union request because I'm not a member of the union. I'm trying to make the football team first and foremost. And I remember uh, I remember that. You know, when I was a when I was a rookie, there was a work stoppage, and and man, it was tough. Well, you know, rookie as a rookie, you're you're crossing the picket lines. Future teammates are walking the picket lines, and you're you know you're going in there to go to practice, and they're looking at like, hey, Rook, you know, uh, we'll be catching up with you. Look forward to seeing you on the practice field. You know, it's going to be interesting. You know that. So it, it it was a real interesting dynamic there, and uh, I don't I don't kind of wish that on anybody for sure, but it it is interesting how it might look around the league.
0: And I did ask D.J. Reader the question, why did you think it was important for everybody to show up for OTAs? And he said, because we went 4-12 and 12 last year, which is actually worse than they were, 4-11-1. Right. The, right. the tie against the Eagles gets no respect. But that's it in a nutshell. These guys are sick of being bad. And if a few practices in the offseason might make the difference in winning a few more games, they're going to show up and, and try to get it done.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the guys who were part of last year's football team, um, you know, look, okay, we stunk. We, di- we didn't get it done. We were nowhere near where we wanted to be. Now we have all these new players and new additions, and we, we, need, we got a lot of work to do. You know, we have a bunch of new faces. Uh, we want to make sure that we're on the same page. The, the only way to, to get better is to take reps together. Repetition breeds comfort level of the guy next to you and what, how you feel comfortable working with him next to him. And there's, there's no replacement for repetitions. I mean, you can talk about it till you're blue in the face. But you get out there on the field, man, it's a different world out there. And you have to, you have to actually go through it, get the muscle, muscle, memory, and repetition breeds comfort level. And uh, they want to start that as quickly as they possibly can.
0: The other thing I wrote down of note from day one of OTAs was the starting offensive line from left to right. Jonah Williams, Quentin Spain, Billy Price, Xavier Suofilo, and Riley Reef. Obviously we shouldn't read too much into this. Trey Hopkins isn't fully cleared yet coming back from his torn ACL. He was observing and Jackson Carmen's going to be given every chance to win one of the starting guard spots. But do you read anything into Quentin Spain lining up as the left guard, Xavier Suafilo lining up as the right guard?
2: You know, I mean they're they're the veterans. They've they've got the experience uh you know I I think a lot of it is overall experience levels. Um, it, it's. A, it, there's. There's a lot of youth in that. Uh, in that group, and there's a lot of youth in the. In the. In the next group that lined up. Uh, Deontay Smith lined up at left tackle with the number twos. Michael Jordan lined up at left guard. Uh, Sutherland lined up at center, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. With the number twos, Adeniji lined up at guard, and Prince lined up at right tackle with the number twos. And and you still, you know, you still have other. It, it's it's a full a full boat in terms of bodies. So you still have other players. Trey Hill obviously got snaps at center as well, but he was the the number three center today. And I don't think that's the projection for him. But I think you have to start somewhere. So I think a lot of it is just. Um, Years service, experience with the organization, those kind of things. All right, we've got a bunch of Ask Lap questions that were submitted via
0: Twitter this week. The first one comes from Steven. What offensive linemen make up the best starting five?
2: Yeah, that's certainly to be determined, and um, you know some of it is injury related. Obviously, Trey Hopkins is the best center if healthy, but Billy Price is the guy that uh, lined up to start OTAs at the center position. Uh, I think the tackle spots, Riley Reef. I think he'll. If, probably line up at the right tackle position Jonah Williams at left tackle but then you look at the uh, the guard spots I mean it's wide open and and it's anybody's ball game in there and he lined up a couple of veterans the S brothers uh, Spain and Suofilo because of their NFL experience and experience in this in the Bengals organization I think but but anybody really I mean it's it's a clean slate it doesn't matter what you did in the past Frank Pollock is looking for his five best players and the interesting thing that they do have, Dan, it's there's a lot of bodies in that in that uh, offensive line room for sure, and a lot of them have position versatility. And as many as seven of these guys have lined up at the tackle position. So, the fact that you've got that many guys that could, in a pinch, you know, line up out there, I think it could get very very competitive because you're only going to keep seven to nine of them, like probably eight or nine guys, and if you have guys that can play center, guard, or tackle. In today's National Football League, that's uh, extremely valuable, and uh, f- Frank Pollock is going to have an interesting process to decide what's the best five to throw out there.
0: All right, We have a good follow-up question based on that answer. This comes from Bien Coverde. Can Hakima Adenogy steal the left guard
2: spot? I think he can. I think he's got the ability. They lined him up as a second right guard uh, today. He was in there behind Suofilo at the right guard position, but you know, right and left, it, it doesn't really matter in, in today's NFL, again, with the position versatility we're talking about. And I, I think he does have the, the skill set. I think he has the feet, and I think he has the, the hand placement ability. And, um, you know, if, if you can play tackle, usually you can slide inside the guard. And he has played quite a bit of tackle in his, in his football career. So I think if he shows the athletic, uh, you know, that it fits him athletically, And he's one of the five best players in in Frank Pollock's mind. He's going to line him up at one of those guard spots. There's no doubt about it. I think that he definitely should be in the mix, and I think he is.
0: Let's stick with the offensive line. Brian and Greg essentially asks the same question. Should the Bengals sign recently released Washington football team offensive tackle Morgan Moses?
2: You know, I, I think the economics of it, or maybe the what's holding Morgan Moses back from signing anywhere right now, um, the June 1st or June 2nd, whatever it is, when the salary cap changes, uh, what kind of a hit that will be from a salary cap concern, all of those things come into, uh, come into play, come into consideration. I would think that you're never not evaluating opportunities to get prospects to the offensive line. But can it fit? Can the economics work? Um, is the player, what, what's, what's the medical on the player? Is there something that, you know, Joe, Joe Q Fan has no idea that, uh, that there's been an issue with Moses um, over the last couple of years? So all of those uh, play a big part. In it. And the trainers are usually very, very honest with each other, you know, within the confines of the National Football League. Uh, they, don't, they don't really keep secrets from each other in that regard. Bangalorean
0: asks this question. What is your take on the linebacker core? What do they need to do? to not make linebacker a priority in next year's draft?
2: Well, they drafted three of them in the, not this past draft, but the draft before, and they, they like all of them. Um, so I, I think that they're excited about their their linebacker core, and usually from year one to year two, there's a significant uh, better understanding of of the game, what's asked of you, how to execute it, and uh, and fit within the scheme of, of the Of the uh, of the defensive coordinator's mindset and putting his game plan together, so I think all of those factors are going to be an improvement for the linebacker core in general um, and specifically with every single player. So I I expect across the board linebacker play to improve. And you know I think obviously Josh Bynes is was a guy that uh, you know was almost like an assistant coach on the football field. Does he have anything left? you know, in terms of uh, r- r- rubber on the tire to, to stay out there and, and, and give them a lot of snaps. But I do like the young athletic group of linebackers. I, I do think that uh, they all love football. I think that's a big factor, and I, I think they're going to pre- perform well for the Bengals this year. I think they're going to be a big, big reason for defensive improvement. And as we know, Dan, Bengals have given up more rushing yards than any team in the NFL over the last three years combined. And people are like, "Well, they only had 17 sacks, you know, amongst the, the worst in the league." You got to earn the right to be able to rush the passer. If you're if you're a sieve in the running game, it's hard to get a pass rush, man. I can t- speak from experience. If you're an offensive lineman, knowing you can run the ball, you don't even worry about pass protection. There's that's not even a concern. But if you can't move the ball on the ground, now you know you're going to have a long, long day protecting mm-hmm. your quarterback, man.
0: Maine Bengals has a question about the defense. We've seen glimpses of Lou Anarumo's D over the past couple of years, but various problems and injuries seem to have prevented it from blossoming. What can we expect from an Anarumo defense at full firepower?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a, uh, a defense that has, you know, multiplicity to it. They, they, can, they can morph from a 4-3 to a 3-4 look, um, and that's why, like we talked about with position versatility with the offensive line, he looks for that type of thing with his with his uh, defensive players as well. Can the guy, uh, you know, stop the run on the edge as well as rush the passer on the edge? Can can he guy drop back into coverage, as well? I mean, can he provide, you know, more than one or more than two things uh, for you defensively? And if that's the case, uh, you can do a lot of things with a few players because that's that's what Bill Belichick has done. Bill Belichick, in my mind, his defensive success over the years is he has found. You know very very sound football players that have a good intelligence for the game of football that have position versatility and he can count on them to do multiple things and do them all the way they're supposed to be done do it how you're coached to do it and I think now that uh Lou Anarumu feels like he's got a room full of that type of player that he's hand-picked now over the last couple of drafts in free agency they've they spent dollars in free agency and used high draft picks you know to help him so uh, I'm excited to see the fit. You know, what, what Lou Anarumo asks of these guys, are they capable of doing? And they better be because, you know, they've been chosen to do so and see what kind of fit that, uh, how that unfolds and, and what the Bengals can do. Because if you, the, the New England Patriots are so hard to prepare for because even from one quarter to the next or one half to the next, they're running a totally different scheme against you. And you know, that's at the highest level. And I'm not saying the Bengals defense is gonna be that, but it'd be nice if all of a sudden, uh, you know, you see the opposing offensive linemen going to the sideline, taking the helmets off, scratching their head, mm-hmm. and the coach has got a grease board and he's frantically diagramming because they don't know what the hell's going on out there with with respect to the scheme. And and when when you can run different schemes and not have to substitute players to do it, that's when you're living in high cotton. And I'm glad you
0: make that New England comparison because, to me, that's the type of defense that Lou Anaruma wants to be as opposed to a Baltimore blitzing every play 45% of the time. It's more of the New England thought of every week we are going to morph our defense to take away
2: what you do best. they are going to take away what you do best, and we're going to make you uncomfortable mentally. We're going to tax you mentally because we feel we've got a, we've got a superior football IQ collectively on the defensive side of the football than you have on the offensive side of football, particularly our front seven against your old line, and we're we're gonna we're gonna raise hell with you. And I I think that's what uh, that those are two things that, that the Patriots do. The Patriots tax you mentally, and uh, and they do. They you're right, Dan. They say that's the guy we got to take away, and come hell or high water, we're taking that guy away.
0: Day Wu asks this question: Why isn't Darius Phillips getting more of a chance? It seems like whenever he plays
2: cornerback, he's a turnover machine, and on special teams, he can be electric. I think consistency is is his biggest, uh, I guess, the thing they're looking for him to improve upon. It's the Achilles' heel right now for him. Is is he will? He'll he probably has the best hands in the secondary and can make plays on the football as well as anybody in the secondary. But his snap to snap consistency of where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there, how he's supposed to do it from a technique standpoint is, is not there uh, as, as much as other players and coaches trust smart players that know what they're doing every single snap. Like we just talked about with Bill Belichick. If you don't have football smarts, you're not playing for Bill Belichick and uh, in a lot of coaches and every coach in the National Football League or any level of football they love smart players you have confidence and feel good about having smart players on the football field I would throw in staying
0: healthy as well he's Mm -hmm. had a knee that's given him trouble since he's been in Cincinnati doesn't always practice so he would be able to he needs to be able to answer the bell week after week practice after practice game after game in order to get more snaps
2: no question about it dependability reliability all of the uh, ability uh, words uh, definitely fit for him to get more snaps, no doubt.
0: Here's a question from Nathan. What do you think the chances are of bringing Geno Atkins back on a one-year deal?
2: Boy, that's a, good, that's a great question. I mean, I I, I don't think you, you ever say never, um, particularly with the relationship that, that they have. Uh, he has with the organization. The organization has with him. I'm sure, uh, again, the June early June deadline with the salary cap ramifications and all that is an impact with if, in fact, he's going to be invited to somebody's training camp, do, do, do people in the league feel that he has any uh, rubber left on the tire? Um, he has had bad injury. you know. He, one of the more durable guys ever in the history of the, of the Bengals in terms of a defensive lineman, but he's had his, his problems down the stretch here of his career. And is he breaking down a little bit? That's the big question that people have. So it'll be interesting to see how many people are interested, if there is any interest, in Geno Adkins. And I would think uh, the Bengals would at least maybe, you know, kick the tires one more time and see what Geno thinks. Uno Chase asks
0: this, who has the inside track for backup slot receiver. They brought in Riley Lees and Trent Taylor and seem high on Trent and Irwin.
2: Yeah, I mean, Trent Taylor obviously has the NFL experience. I I think uh, we're looking at him as an Alex Erickson clone kind of thing. Um, So I think that he has the best chance of being active because he's his return abilities, his overall special teams abilities. He has five years of snaps in the National Football League. I think he's probably got the inside track in terms of uh, taking the role of, of Alex Erickson and. I'm, I'm wondering if he's wearing the same. I can't remember if he's wearing eleven or twelve. He's wearing one of those two numbers he was eleven. He was eleven. okay, I thought he was, if he was wearing twelve there were that was definitely the, the the intent there, but uh yeah i th- I think he does have a shot.
0: Riley Lee's was wearing twelve. I noticed he does not wear gloves. What wide
2: receiver in this day and age does not wear gloves? Well, I'll tell you particularly when it gets uh you know a little bit a little bit snowy and icy and and uh, those fingers get really really cold and stiff you know your 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 fingertips freeze you can't even get a fingerprint the FBI couldn't get a fingerprint (laughs) off you out there after a game and be interested to see if that uh if that mindset changes he probably
0: wears them when it gets
2: cold all right
0: from hit it straight what would it mean to you to see the Bengals win a Super Bowl and do you risk realistically see it happening
2: during your broadcasting career well that's a that's a great question I I I thought it was going to happen in you know, in the 80s, it, uh, got to the, the Super Bowl as a broadcaster in 88. And, uh, you know, we went in 81, in 81-82 season, and again in 88-89. I thought, man, there's a chance. Got there twice, you know, third time's a charm. Got to get there a third time, I guess, you know, to, for that to be the charm. But um, back in the 80s, I would have said, hell yeah, I think there's a great chance to uh, experience a, you know, a Super Bowl win as a broadcaster. Didn't get it done as a player. Got there and obviously came up short. And, uh, you know, never really do you ever get over that. Um, But it would be nice to get one as a broadcaster, Dan. I'd love to call a Super Bowl winning uh, performance with you. That would be awesome. Oh, it's going to
0: happen. Trust me, it's going to happen. And here's why it's going to happen. I am not going to allow you to retire until (laughs) it
2: happens. (laughs) Oh, man, you you may have to prop me up and slap me around.
0: (laughs) Nah, because it's happening in the Joe Burrow era, so you're not going to have to wait very long. All right, we'd like to end whenever possible with a couple of wild card questions that came in on Ask Lap. The first one comes from Travis. What made you decide to do your own podcast?
2: It's great, by the way. Oh, I appreciate that, Travis. Yeah, it um, just had, uh, you know, just started thinking about, uh, you know, something um, doing doing interviews with not just Bengals and football people, but just sports people in general and um, in the city of Cincinnati that Cincinnati fans might have an interest in and, and maybe sports figures outside of Cincinnati that have some sort of a Cincinnati connection. Just thought that might be a might be fun to do and uh first star logistics uh who i do some work with uh in in the off season um they had an interest in in uh being a sponsor of of the podcast so they set up a beautiful studio for me over there at their at their location and uh it's been a lot of fun um and really you you learn something about these guys it's something always comes up during the course of a half hour 45 minute podcast that you didn't necessarily think you're going to be going down that road i mean you know all about it uh you do a great job on podcasts and it just um yeah I, I, i just i enjoy i enjoy finding out uh not the unknown but maybe the the less known about people that are more high profile you know it's kind of interesting Travis is right. It's awesome.
0: I've listened to almost every episode. The Kevin Uklis one this week was great. If folks want to skip the Dan Horde episode, that they was can. Awesome. You <laughs> it was fun to do. It was you, fun to you do. You were
2: phenomenal. I just did uh, Luke Fickle Monday, nice. and he was not good. He was great. I mean, it was a good 45, 50 minutes, and really some interesting stuff about uh, Coach Fickle in there. I don't want to give anything away, but I, I think it's I think it's worth the listen. He's he's as you know he's he's special that dude he's he's got it together
0: can't wait to listen even though I've talked to Luke a billion times I'm sure just from the nature of having somebody different ask the questions I'll learn something about him that I've never learned before final question comes from Governor Chief what was your favorite post-game
2: meal (laughs) (laughs) my favorite post-game meal uh, it, it didn't it didn't happen very often but I, I'm Predominantly, I, I'm a beef guy. I, I love a good steak. But, man, being from New England, if you find a good lobster, mm. a good lobster tail, can't beat it. And I, I like to tear apart a lobster. I like to order a whole lobster and just, you know, get to get after the tail, the claws, the whole thing. And uh, my mother-in-law, God rest her soul, she got every bit of lobster meat there was to get in, in the lobster. And uh, then would make an unbelievable lobster salad. So... I, I'd have to say that the most special meal would be an unbelievably well, perfectly cooked lobster. Do you eat the tamale, the green stuff at the top of the tail? Negatory, <laughs> <laughs> nor the roe. I don't eat the tamale or the roe, the red roe. I, no, no, I don't. I don't go there. I, but she ate the tamale. I mean, she she went after the whole thing, and they say it's a delicacy. And I'm like, mm, good. Then not, you can have mine. <laughs>
0: That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.